Activate series. I really bet you'll be here. We're having a, a team of guests come to do a, a, a roundtable discussion about how they got activated in the ministry and for the work of the kingdom. They come from all different backgrounds, all different places. There are four different people who will be sharing with us. We'll have the opportunity to ask them questions. And so I hope you'll be here Wednesday night, 6.30, downstairs in the fellowship hall. Greg will be one of those um, that'll be sharing with us that evening as well. So you, if you don't know Greg, you can meet him. You can meet him that, that evening. As we're looking at this series uh, entitled Activate and how we can all get more engaged in the kingdom so that we increase our impact uh, in the world around us, uh, one of the things that I wanted to look at for a minute this morning, uh, this would be more of a devotion than a full-blown sermon, although I, I, I on occasion have the ability to keep on going, so we'll see what happens. Um, but one of the things that I want us to look at is that we don't do things in a vacuum. Author Alex Haley used to have this poster. He, Alex Haley was the author of Roots, which uh, really transformed a generation's thinking about race and culture in a very uh, dramatic way. Uh, he used to have this poster uh, behind him on his desk, and it was the picture of a turtle on a fence post. And he was asked many times why he had that picture there because, and he said, because whenever you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you know it had to have help to get there. And the idea being that we, none of us uh, are where we are apart from the team, apart from others. This last week, uh, Scott spoke about God's redemptive work in Peter's life. On Wednesday night, we talked about leadership, and uh, it, it's been said that if a person is a leader but no one is following, they're only taking a walk, uh, which is also true because we're a team. When we look at the New Testament and we look at, for instance, Paul, we think of Paul as this apostolic figure who towers above uh, really, outside of Christ, the influence of Paul is monumental. But when you really take apart Acts and then the writings of Paul, what you realize is that Paul was a part of a team. Uh, Paul may have been, the, in many ways, the visionary. He was obviously the one who God used to write and to preach. But Paul didn't do what he did by himself. He did it in conjunction with others. Even the missionary journeys they went on, you see Paul and Barnabas. We're going to talk about Paul and Barnabas, their relationship in a couple of weeks. Um, you see Paul and Silas. He didn't go by himself. He always took someone with him. And then you see how he builds teams wherever he goes. In whatever city he's in, he's in the process of building a team. And so what I'd like to talk about just for a moment this morning from Acts 16 and Philippians 2 using some of the people Paul brings into his circle, how do we, what, what are some key components to teamwork? How do we work together? <clears throat> you know, we as Americans, we, we say we value team, um, but we only value teams when it comes to sporting things. We, 
we really devalue the idea of teamwork when it comes to our individual lives. Most of us work or try to work by ourselves. We isolate ourselves. We separate ourselves. And in God's kingdom, in God's economy, there, it, that doesn't work. I mean, all of the analogies of the church are about a team, body of Christ, temple of God. All of those equations that God brings together means we work, we work together. And uh, can I get an amen that, it, that it's hard to work together? I mean, really, I, if you want to just be gut level honest, why do we work by ourselves? Because we rub up against each other. As a team, we at times challenge one another. And there are times when we step back and say, man, this would be so much easier if I did this totally by myself. Or this would be totally easier if everybody were just like me. I mean, thoughts like that, but that's not the way God works. It's not the body of, the, uh, body of Christ. So let's look at some aspects. Look at Acts 16, verses 1 through 3. This is uh, Paul's second missionary journey. They've gone back out to, to uh, work among the churches, and he's taken Silas with him. And uh, the first thing I want us to see about teamwork is team, teamwork is intentional. There's an intentionality about teamwork. So here we are in uh, Acts 16, 1 through 3. And, uh, you know, by the way, I'm not making excuses here, but um, I put the PowerPoint together this morning, so there could be, you just want to keep your eyes on it. No telling what you're going to see uh, in, the, in the quickness of me putting it together. Uh, chapter 16, 1 through 3, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish, and the believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. When Paul comes to Lystra, he was impressed by this young man named Timothy. Now, <clears throat> Lystra is a city they're revisiting. Uh, they've come to Lystra, and if you read earlier in Acts, there are some things that happened in Lystra. Uh, Paul and Barnabas healed a crippled man, and the people in the city started calling them gods, and things didn't go well from there. Uh, Paul preached. <laughs> Paul preached in this, basically, hey, we're not gods, we're just men. He preached. Uh, the people got really mad at him because he wasn't a god, so they dragged him outside of the city. They tried to stone him to death. Things had not gone well in Lystra, but well enough, evidently, that some people had come to become followers of Jesus Christ, including Timothy's family, his mother and his grandmother, who were Jewish, but were married. His mother was married to a guy who was Greek. So it's, he brings... He brings Timothy into his team. Now, Timothy is a young man, and though he's well thought of, Paul could have said, hey, this, this young guy, he's just, he's probably still a teenager for all we know. But Paul is intentionally trying to expand his team. Now, 
Let me just say, by the way, delicately here, that Timothy also had to be willing to intentionally become part of this team. I mean, he was willing to let Paul circumcise him as an older teenager. You don't do that by accident. Um, that there's an, you've got to say, I'm, I want to... I want to become a, a part of this team. And so Timothy is set apart for the message of the gospel. And from here, he goes with uh, Paul and Silas on their journey as a faithful worker. Later in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 17, it says, For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. It's a pretty high commendation of Timothy later on. Let me see if I can paint the picture. Paul takes Timothy with him. Um, they leave Lystra. And by the way, somewhere right in this area, they also pick up uh, Luke. Uh, if you notice in Acts 16, the language changes. Prior to Acts 16, and Luke is the author of Acts, prior to Acts 16, all the pronouns say they or he. But starting in Acts 16, it switches and starts saying we. We went. And so somewhere in here is where Luke meets Paul, and he joins in as part of the team. This team is growing. And they go from here, and they go to Philippi, where they meet uh, Lydia, who uh, is a wealthy woman, and they, they um, preach. Lydia becomes a follower of Christ. They start using her home as a place to proclaim the gospel. The team is growing. Lydia, as a matter of fact, though she may not travel with them in the future, she, she is a financial contributor to the ministry. I mean, I mean the team is taking... Look, look at who's coming. Timothy as a young man. You've got Luke as an author who's going to be very influential as a result of this, writing the book Gospels of, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. You've got Lydia who's contributing financially. They go from there to um, Athens and Thessalonica, and eventually they get to Corinth. And in Corinth, another couple who is Jewish comes to become followers of Jesus Christ. Um, Aquila and Priscilla, who are also very impactful for, as a part of the team. He, here's what I'm saying. Paul is gathering these people. Some are going to stay in their city. Some are going to travel with them. Some are going to be financial contributors. Some are going to help in the work of the gospel. But it's not by accident that he's doing what he's doing. There is an intentionality to building a team. And here's what I want to say to us. Teams don't just happen. They don't just accidentally, magically appear. We know that from our experience with sports teams. We know that from working with people. They just don't magically coalesce. If you don't start looking and thinking of yourself as a part of a team, then you'll never be engaged in a team. You'll, the, the devil wants to isolate you. He wants to keep you separate. He wants to make you think either through your own wounding or inability or age or singleness or 
whatever the case may be, that you're disqualified from being part of the team. But I, but I want to say to you that through Christ, through the power of His Spirit, every single one of us can be part of a team and should be part of a team. Anytime we're taken out of the context of team and isolated, something's wrong. Uh, it is, to me, anti-biblical to be walking alone. And it, it, it is one of the schemes of the enemy to try and to get you there. Every person I've just mentioned to you, from Luke to Timothy to Lydia to Aquila and Priscilla, would have had any good reason to not be part of the team. If you look at their lives, and from what we know, every single one of them had some sort of thing that could have kept them internally from saying, I want to be a part of this. Intentionality. Second thing is sacrifice and humility. In Philippians 2, verses 19 through 22, and this is a reference. Remember, Philippians 2 is that great passage where it talks about Jesus, um, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, though he didn't exist in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. That great passage, that hymn of faith. Later in that chapter, it's talking about Timothy. And remember that letter of Philippians is written back to the church in Philippi, which is where Lydia was from. And it's talking a little bit about Timothy. And it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Why? Why is there no one who will show genuine interest for their welfare? For everyone does what? Looks out for their own interest. Remember, he has just said to them earlier in this chapter, don't regard equality with some, God something to be grasped, but emptied your, empty yourself like Jesus emptied himself. Don't do things out of, we'll see in a minute, out of selfish ambition. Everyone's looking out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel of Christ. Being a part of a team, it takes humility. It takes sacrifice. It, it takes the, the willingness to lay down our life for the sake of the gospel. <clears throat> can, can we just be honest here? Most of us look out for our own interests. Even when we say we're not looking out for our own interests, most of us are still looking out for our own interests. It's the way we're built. It's part of our sin nature to look out for our own interests. Again, in chapter 2, earlier verses 3 through 5, where Paul says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, what? Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We live in an age, we live in an age where it is all about self-interest. I, I would contend 
that much of the populism that is dictating the direction of America today is about self-interest. I would also say that much of the liberal agenda that's trying to dictate the course of America is about self-interest. Uh, it's all about self-interest, whatever extreme you want to come from, um, because we are self-interested people. We, we like ourselves the best, really, and it, even if we don't like ourselves the best, even if we think we're terrible, then we're trying to, we're so introspective about how terrible we are, we can't get outside of ourselves. It's a trap on all sides. We need to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel, and it takes a humility. To be a part of a team takes sacrifice and humility. By the way, there's something inherent about a sacrifice that means it costs you something. See, a sacrifice is not what you've got left over. You know, like, okay, I'm going to do all of this stuff, and I've got this time up here that if I've got any time left, then I'm going to, I'll give it. Like, I got all this other stuff. Are you with me? It's kind of like money. If you want to give money and you say, I want to give a sacrificial gift, so I'm going to give this extra part that doesn't fit in anywhere else. People, that's not sacrifice. Sacrifice, as David says, costs you something. There is an inherent cost in your life. And being a part of a team is sacrificial. You have to lay it down uh, to be part of that team. Let me give you an example of how this kind of works, possibly. Paul leaves Corinth, and after he leaves Corinth, remember, and let me back up a little bit, Corinth is where Aquila and Priscilla become followers of Jesus Christ, this married couple. And after Paul leaves Corinth, there's this guy named Apollos who comes in. Apollos is a gifted teacher. He's from a Jewish background, but all he knows is the baptism of John but he knows about Jesus, but he doesn't know anything past John's baptism and the teachings of Jesus. He doesn't know the cross. He doesn't know the resurrection. He doesn't know the filling of the Holy Spirit. But he's very gifted, and he comes into Corinth, and he starts teaching and arguing. Aquila and Priscilla take him into their home and evidently house him and they show him, as the Bible says, a better way, a fuller way, a more complete way. It says in the message about Apollos, he was um, that he becomes a great teacher as a result of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that fills him and Aquila and Priscilla's sacrifice and humility to help teach him so that when a, uh, an um, Conflict, thank you, breaks out. He says he was particularly effective in public debates with the Jews as he brought out proof after convincing proof from the scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, God's Messiah. Here's the point. Aquila and Priscilla, there's only like three or four Bible verses that even mention them. And Apollos doesn't get a lot of acclaim. He gets some. But for his day, he becomes really effective. Why does he become really effective? Because Aquila and Priscilla were willing to sacrifice in humility to take him into their home to help show him a better way. 
a more complete way so that when the conflict breaks out, there's Apollos ready to go, arguing effectively against the Jews that indeed Jesus is the Messiah. Do, do you see the point? Sometimes being a part of a team means you'll never get the fame. You'll never get the, the, the big name. But if you're fulfilling your role in sacrifice and humility, God will use it to raise somebody else up who will then be effective when that moment comes. Again, we're so self-interested that if we think we can't be the big name, then we want it, we're going to leave. In soccer just recently... These names probably don't mean anything to you, but uh, there's a player named Neymar who is one of the great Brazilian players, uh, one of the greatest players in the world, who is a part of an incredible team in Barcelona, um, which is one of the big... I know I'm talking like in tongues to some of you, uh, but he, he, he was one of the biggest... It's one of the biggest soccer clubs in the world. And he played against... He played with a guy named Lionel Messi who is probably considered the greatest soccer player, it's an argument, of our day. So Neymar decides to leave this team because he couldn't be the number one guy as long as Messi was a part of the team to go play for another team where he could be the number one guy. It's debatable where, when he'll be or if he'll be, or, but that's the spirit of our age. That's the spirit that says, I, I, me and him together, we could be the greatest team that was ever in existence. I mean, we have the potential to do incredible things. But instead, if I can't be the guy, I'm out of here. Romans 12 says this. We'll hang on to the power. I'm going to finish whether the power goes off or not. So, Therefore, I mean, I came this far in the rain and the storms. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to what? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What is the pattern of this world? Well, it's many things, but one of it is don't sacrifice, don't be humble, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. And it, it, it goes on, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Sacrifice. Third point, and I'll move a little more. I'm stuck here, Caroline. Probably the power surge. Um, genuineness. Genuineness. There's sacrifice, there's service, uh, but these vessels that this is contained in need to be genuine. Philippians 2, verses 19 and 20 says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show, and it should be up there, uh, who will show genuine concern. I told you it was going to be exciting when it came to the PowerPoint, didn't I? I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because 
as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel, the work of the gospel. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Timothy's concern for the church in Philippi is sincere. It's not feigned. It's not made up. It is genuine. People can sniff out a lack of sincerity or genuineness in you from miles away. One of the things I read about, and you can take that slide down, Caroline, because it's giving me a headache. Um, one of the things that... Um, if you read about the millennial generation, the younger generation, one of the things that they want in church life, one of their number one is authenticity for people to be genuine. Too long they have lived in families that have claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ or they've lived in cultures that have claimed to be Christian or they live in a certain place that claims something. But when you get behind the curtain, you see a lack of authenticity. It's not genuine, and it's turning people away from, from the gospel. We need to teach our children, look, I am authentically flawed. I am not a perfect guy. I am not a perfect person, but by the grace of God, I'm going to keep pressing forward in the gospel. Teamwork's to work well as a team, we have to be authentic. We have to be genuine. For instance, do we really want to be free from the love of money? Or do we only want to be appearing to be free? Does that make sense? In other words, do you really want to get free from the love of money? The Bible gives you some great clues on how to do it, but many of us, we just want to look like we're free. Do we pursue intimacy with our spouse because we know we're supposed to, or do we do it because we really love them and want to be intimate with them? Do we witness because we have to? Do we share the gospel because we know it's the command of God in our lives? Or do we do it because we really have a genuine desire to see people who are separated from God come into relationship with Him? We need to be honest about the condition about our heart, our struggles. We need to be authentic. If we're going to be a part of a team, we need to be genuine and authentic. And then finally, service. We need to be willing to serve. A servant is a rare thing, and I don't mean a slave. I just mean to serve other people, to lay down our lives, eventually gets to the place of serving. Again, in Philippians, it says, For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because he is a son with his father. As a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. We live in an age, again, and it's part of our nature where we don't want to serve, we want to be served. We want to be the, we think that leadership is people serving me. I mean, that's the model of leadership that we see in the world. 
that's the model that many of our fathers dictated for us. He was the king of the castle. Everybody else was the minions serving, serving the father. Or some, you know, we see it in all different places in the world where the leader is the one who is served. And it, it, the Bible flips things upside down and says, look, Jesus, God in human flesh, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. If we're going to follow the model of the kingdom, then the higher up we go, the less rights we have, the less demands we have. Instead, we keep laying down our lives for the people around us. Here's my question to us in some ways. Are we faithful in our areas of service? In other words, in the way God has gifted you, in the design that you have, in the body of Christ that he's placed you? Or do we think of ourselves as too important to actually serve? Now, we may couch it, and can we get honest? We may couch it in spiritual terms. So it may go like this. You know, God has just not released me in this area of ministry. I mean, you can't really argue with that, right? And maybe that statement is true for some, but I'm telling you, I've heard it in words in which it's couched in a way that's really saying, I just don't want to serve. God hasn't released me because I don't want to. I don't want to be in that area of service. I don't want to get dirty. I don't want to... I don't want to work in the nursery. I don't want to work with the children. I don't want to do anything but what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with the acclaim that I feel like I deserve. God help us. We are called to serve, to be a part of a team. In 1939, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor, had started what was called the Confessing Church in Germany. In other words, in Germany, the state church, which was Lutheran, had been co-opted by the Nazi regime. And Bonhoeffer and some other pastors who were part of the Lutheran church, part of the state church, knew that it had become a political arm of a terrible thing. So they started what was called the Confessing Church. And in 1939, Bonhoeffer came to New York and was here for a period of time. And the Americans at that point urged him to stay in America, basically saying to him, if you go back to serve the church there, there's a good chance you're going to be killed. There's a good chance you're going to die. But he said to them, what kind of voice am I going to have for them while I'm in safety here? If I'm not willing to lay down my life for those who are in the church and serving Christ in the middle of this terrible situation, by going back, just because I have privilege, what kind of voice will I have to them? 
God is calling us to lay down our lives to serve, to be a part of a, to be part of a team. <laughs> one of my favorite stories. By the way, one of the reasons, if, if it's not because we feel like we're too important, it's because the enemy's got us on the other end to say, you're so unworthy. You can't do this. You don't have the ability. In one of his, in one of his crusades in Latin America, Luis Palau tells this story of how they would have these training sessions for counselors who were going to be part of the evangelist. You know, they, they train counselors. People come forward, and then they counsel with people and help them come to know Christ. And he said this one guy came in who was obviously homeless. His, his, his clothes were tattered. He, he didn't smell really great. And, you know, they, 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 they wanted really the beautiful people to be doing the counseling, but this guy was willing. And so they, he went through the counseling session, but the leadership of the counseling team really didn't expect very much. Several weeks later at a crusade, all the counselors, all the other counselors. This is like the last guy on the team, picked for the team. You know, he's standing over here by himself, and a guy comes down who's a doctor, well-dressed, very affluent, and the problem is the homeless, tattered guy is the only guy left to talk to him. So the doctor and the homeless guy start talking, and once the director sees what's happening, he gets really concerned. Oh my goodness, I know this guy's a doctor. He's talking to this smelly homeless guy, uh, the last guy on the, the team. And when they came out of a counseling room, the, count, the head guy said to the doctor, hey, is there anything I can do for you? And the doctor said, no, thank you. This man has helped me more than enough. The next day, that doctor showed up with his wife, three more doctors, and their wives. And he asks for the homeless guy. He comes in and says, I want to see the same guy I saw yesterday. You see, in God's economy, everybody is now qualified. Why? Because we see people and ourselves like this. We think, Hey, because my balloon is 10 feet off the ground and yours is only 2 feet off the ground, my balloon is more important and higher than yours. And in God's vastness of space and economy, he doesn't even see the balloons off the ground from his perspective. Only by his might and his power enabling us do we become enabled. So now we're all qualified. In first, in, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy 1, verses 4 through 7, it says, Recalling your tears, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us, for the Spirit, there should be a comma, God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
people. We need to be activated for God's kingdom. His gift is in us. Fan it into flame. Become a part of a team. Timothy was a part of a team. And he worked in teams. History tells us that Timothy worked in teams for the rest of his life. He becomes a leader in church history. Why? Because Paul invested in him, he invested in others, and they worked together to see the gospel move forward. The gift that Timothy had was not just for him, it was for everybody. And the gifts worked together. In closing, I think all of us are part of a team. We have to be. It's the call of God on our lives. If we're going to be part of the team, it's not going to happen by accident. It has to be intentional. I'm begging you, don't take yourself out of the game. Instead, intentionally stay in there. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. It's going to take sacrifice and humility to stay a part of the team. It's going to take us being genuine, authentic with one another. And believe me, all three of those things go so far against our nature. We don't want to be gen- we don't want to be seen for what we really are. We don't want to sacrifice. And if we're going to be part of the team, then we know that we're called to serve. I believe that's what God has called us here at Fullness to be. If we're going to be fully activated for his kingdom, then we see ourselves as part of the body, the building, the kingdom, the team. Stand up with me. Let me pray for us. Hey, thanks for being here today. Awesome that you would come out in this rainy, windy weather to worship. Hope it was a blessing for you. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'm going to speak a benediction. Just stay around and visit with one another. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to, you know? Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we are a part of the kingdom. We're a part of the body. And that, Lord, we're filled with your power and your presence to become a part. We thank you for the examples of Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas, Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. God, make us a team that impacts the world. Lord, make us a team that impacts our families and our city. Lord, may we intentionally stay in there. Maybe we, in humility and sacrifice, give ourselves to your cause. Lord, forgive us where we are so fake at times, and instead may we be sincere and genuine. May we lay down our lives to serve one another for your kingdom's sake. Thank you, Lord, for this people and this place for what you desire to do in us and through us in the days ahead. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great, great, great day in the